there are days that I really thought like, oh, this is just impossible. I don't know how I need to keep this for an hour or how, how am I ever going to get close to it. That's right, everyone. You heard her. Current world time trial champion and recently crowned world hour record holder, Ellen Van Dyke, joins us today on Bobby and Jens. Well, I have to say I'm pretty stoked for our guest today. Just about a week ago, she set the new world hour record in Grenchen, Switzerland. Ellen Van Dyke, welcome to Bobby and Jens. Thank you very much. Well, when when Jens first mentioned to me that we may try to get you on the podcast, I was um, I wasn't positive because I knew that it takes a lot out of you to to do something like that. But how has the last week been? Like, a the recovery from such a massive effort, and then just all the the media and sponsor obligations. Yeah, it's been uh, a super nice week, actually. Of course, it was first of all, it was a big relief. We had a nice dinner uh, the evening of the hour record. Um, and then the next day I drove home and I went to a TV program in the Netherlands. Uh, I also wrote a criterion uh, back home, which uh, which was a bit of a shock to the, to the body, but it uh, was also good to do. And next to that, I had um, a couple of uh, podcasts and interviews. Uh, but, um, yeah, so far it's been, uh, I, I just really enjoy it actually. And you deserve to enjoy it because I had the honor to be there and I could see it was hard. You really had to give everything. So you still remembering the good parts of it or you're already going, ah, I have to look forward for the next upcoming races and, um, go back into training. And how is your body actually, your neck, your shoulders, how is everything one week after? Yeah, well, I was very surprised because actually the next morning I felt pretty good already. Uh, maybe it was uh, some of the wine I had the evening before, I don't know. The, but um, I was very surprised because, uh, yeah, in training sometimes I had really hard moments and I had moments where I really had a hard time to keep the position and uh, my shoulder was a problem, my left hip was a problem, my glute was a problem, you know, all these kind of things went through my sit area, of course, everything. Uh, but then, yeah, I think I was very well prepared and super fit. And um, uh, we had the osteo there also for like four days already. And he also worked on me every day. I had massage every day for 10 days already. So uh, my body was definitely uh, ready for it. And I was just happy that it wasn't, uh, it wasn't so bad as I expected, actually. But, you yeah. know, you're reigning world time trial champion. So I'm sure you were quite confident going into this record attempt. But you just gave us a little bit of a timeline. But when did you really just hunker down and start focusing on this objective? Um, was it three weeks out? Was it two weeks out? I'd, I'd really be interested in knowing those days prior that build up the tests, the aerodynamic um, modifications you may have made if yeah, i quickly uh, uh, can 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 jump in hmm. it was actually a long time plan wasn't it didn't you had in january already like the first feasibility tests 
Yes, exactly. So I started already. Uh, well, let's start like this. Uh, it was a dream of me already for more than 10 or 15 years. I, I always wanted it. So of course, I also watched uh, your attempt from Jens because I just love our record attempt. And to me, it has something super magical. So it was always on my wish list, like one day I'm going to do it. But yeah, saying one day I'm going to do it uh, and actually doing it in between, there's quite a lot of things I have to say. Um, so when I became world champion last year in uh, September, then I thought really now it's time for my, for my, for my big dream. Um, so I tried to convince uh, the team and track and uh, that was quite easy. They were uh, super happy for me to do it with me. So we started this, this first conversations in December and we did the first tests in January. And then I started the first real track trainings only, uh, yeah, actually only after the spring. So that was uh, four weeks ahead of the event. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I started to, to really train the track four weeks ahead of the event. Um, I started in Apeldoorn, a track in the Netherlands, um, and then I was in the beginning. I was still riding on my uh, TT bike. I was I I had a couple of sessions in the spring, but nothing uh, nothing specific. And then when when I started after the spring classics, I had my track bike, and then we started only to train on power. So I never rode with lap times or anything. I was al always riding with on my power meter. Um, and we increased, basically we increased every time the, the length of the efforts a little bit. So it was not always on race pace. Most of the time it was under. Um, and yeah, and then we built it up towards, uh, yeah, towards, of course, uh, the end. Um, but after two weeks in Ap training in Apeldoorn, I went to Egle, which is uh, a shorter track. It's only 200 meters. So the corners are steeper, so it was more difficult to keep the line. That was a big focus of me, the technique in the track, because I, uh, I realized that um, the technique has such a uh, such big influence in this record. Um, it's definitely not only about the power. So um, I didn't focus so much on power values anymore. I was more focused on the technique and on keeping the line and holding my position uh, and these kind of things. Um, every training session I did, uh, my boyfriend was there and also my coach, uh, Josu Larasobal, he would not be there, but he was always online. He was, he was, uh, he was also there. And every time I did an effort, I straight away uploaded the file and then he could send me directly the feedback of the CDA I had in that, in that effort. So that was very valuable information because then I knew if I changed something in my position, if it actually would have an effect on the CDA and the power and everything. Do you remember off the top of your head what your CDA was? Yeah, it changed a lot. Um, so when I started, uh, the first time I was in Butgen for uh, testing, that was the, the day after uh, Liège, Baston, Liège, or two days. And then my CDA was around 0.2. Um, and then we lowered it. Um, Every time I changed my position a little bit more and it became, came down from 0.92 to 0.18 till in the end 0.17. Um, yeah, in, in the calculations that we made. So I, I can't say like this is the exact value, but in the calculations we made, it went down from 0.20 to 0.17. So it looks like you were planning this from January on. 
and it, to me, the way you explain it, it looks like it was all just uphill, uphill, getting better, 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 better. Was there moments where you thought, holy smokes, this is never going to work. I'm going to stop this project. Or were you always positive and always like, yep, this is good. It's hard work, but it's good. I love it. I will keep going. Or were there moments where you went, nah, I'm going to try next year again? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. There were these kind of moments. Um, I Basically, I had the faith that I could do it. Like I thought, okay, I should have the physical ability and normally it should be possible. But then once you, you really start to do longer efforts, um, there are days that I really thought like, oh, this is just impossible. I don't know how I need to keep this for an hour or how, how am I ever going to get close to it? Um, I remember a day in Egler where I had a 45-minute session. And in this 45 minutes, I would do 30 minutes on race pace and 15 minutes easy after, but keeping the position and staying in the, in, in the same thing. And during this 30 minutes, I remember after 20 minutes, I almost couldn't sit anymore. I had pain everywhere in my legs. And I really thought, I'm 20 minutes in. I need to keep this for one hour. It's impossible. And this day I had to do it for 30 minutes. So I just made the 30 minutes and then I almost wanted to stop. Um, but I also realized, uh, yeah, I needed to keep going to get through this whole process. And during this half an hour, I had the, the, the worst thoughts. I thought I'm, I'm going to call the team that we, we are going to cancel this whole project because it's just hopeless. And, and honestly, I don't know if I can ever ride an hour in this, in this position on the track. And uh, like, can I, not, maybe we should go for a half an hour record. I thought this is even more stupid. <laughs> but then I thought, yeah, but probably if we do half an hour, that, then other people would be faster as well. And all these kind of bad thoughts. And on top of that, I actually had to throw up during the effort. I was, uh, I don't know, it was a really bad day in the end. Um, but then uh, after 45 minutes, uh, I was done. And then I thought, ah, I wasn't so bad. You know, I don't know if it always goes like this, but you go through the worst pain and through the worst emotions. And then when it's done, you think, ah, I wasn't so bad. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what often happens. So I know you had a great support team behind you, but what are what were some of the like the little tech bling bling uh, things that you had up your sleeve? I mean, we had Rowan Dennis on who has done the hour record. Jens has obviously done the hour record. Um, the importance of you know the skin suit, the helmet, the the positioning on the bike, and just for our listeners, CDA is coefficient of aero, aerodynamic drag. That's what we're talking about. And like gear selection, your nutrition protocol prior, those are the things I kind of want to geek out on. So let's, let's start, you know, one day out from your record attempt, which was, yeah, last Monday. Um, yeah. Talk to us a little bit through the things that your coaches and yourself were really focusing on. Um, so maybe it's good to know, uh, on the first day before the attempt, we did a test. Um, and in this test, we tried to imitate everything like we would do it on the race day. So, uh, that started already on the Wednesday. So the Wednesday and the first day, we did everything like we would do it on Sunday and Monday. Monday was the day of the attempt. So basically we have gone through the whole process, through the whole warming up, through everything already, just to make sure that everything was, was perfect and in line. Um, so that meant on, uh, from Sunday morning till Sunday or till Monday evening, 
everything I was eating was written down and was um, just given to me like uh, this is what you need to eat now and this is uh, what you need and exactly uh, how much and everything was calculated by the nutritionist of the team. Um, so that gave me already a lot of um, yeah uh, confidence that the nutrition, everything was fine. Um, then I would go and uh, ride one hour in the morning uh, just to activate the body. And I would do four times five minutes uh, activation just to get ready for it. Um, and then I would lay on my bed, being super, super nervous, getting more and more nervous, getting so sick of waiting. <laughs> um, and then the day of the attempt, I, I walked into the track, uh, I think one hour before the attempt. And then I had a really bad moment because then all of a sudden I realized I was sitting down there and I thought, all these people come to watch me. There's a whole live stream all around the world. Everybody's watching me and they are expecting me just to break this record. And what if I can't all of a sudden, you know, that really hit me like, shit, this is really all about me right now. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a bad moment. Then actually um, the sports psychologist of our team, Elisabetta Borgia, she, she was there as well. So she, I said, oh, can you, can you come to the, to the changing room? And uh, we did some breathing exercises together and she made me calm again. And uh, yeah, the main thing for me was to, to try to get into my own little zone, into my own little bubble and, uh, and not think about everything that's around it. So um, yeah, that worked pretty well. And then uh, once I was once I could go to the start, of course, I was still nervous, but I knew, okay, now we're going to do it. And now we're going to go for it. And, uh, and now it's time to, uh, to do what we practiced all this time before. Um, so once you stepped on the bike, it was one hour of uh, focus. Um, talking about uh, the bike, how much, how much interest did you have in the technical parts? How much were you involved or wanted to be involved? For example, I asked the mechanic, You were not using oil, you were using wax for the chain. Um, does any of that interest you? Do you say, hey, I want this, I want this? Or you go, you know what, you guys are the specialists. I leave that all up to you. I just want to jump on it and go. Yeah, so I definitely have a lot of faith in uh, Kuhn de Kort and Glenn Leven, who, uh, who were responsible for the bike, especially Glenn was really into the bike material. Um, but for sure, I mean, I, had a, I have interest in it. I have interest in it, but I'm not going super far in it. Like I know, for example, you need to wax a chain, wax a chain. You need to have the fastest tires. Um, yeah, of course, I was thinking a lot about the gearing because I can only ride one gear. Um, I I was very interested in the helmet, in things in the wind tunnel, stuff like that. Uh, but also, for example, yeah, Trek made this bike and I just knew, okay, the bike that Trek makes is the best they, they, will, they will make and I have to fake this will be good. I'm not going to check all of this or like compare it to others or whatever. Um, same with the tires. I, I said, Glenn, okay, pick the fastest tires, make sure we have the fastest and then Glenn goes for that. So I, I'm just lucky with these people around me and I trust them. So. I'm not going to do all this investigation by myself because, uh, yeah, I think it's useless. And at the same time, sometimes, uh, um, yeah, well, sometimes you also have to, you, you just get the stuff and you think, okay, this is best. And then I think it's easier for your head than when you keep in doubt about everything. Yeah, you, you touched on something there that I think is, is super important is that that ability to stay calm and keep your focus in a what is efficient you know, which is really just a big fishbowl 
right? Like you're sitting there in the middle of the track, you know, a lot of people watching. Um, but one thing, because I, I live streamed it as well. And, um, you know, it was, it was an hour or so I kept watching it. And one of the things that kind of came into my mind that now that you're here, I'd love to ask you, what size gear were you using and what was your target RPM for that? Yes, yeah, so the gear I picked was 5814. Um, and with this gearing, I would be in between RPM 93 and 97 normally. That would be in between 48.4 and 50, I think. That was the range I had with this gear. Um, and yeah, basically, um, I knew that Jocelyn Louden, who had the record before me, she was riding pretty low RPM, 92, 93. Uh, and maybe it's more efficient, but I, I feel like I need a little bit more of a rhythm of a higher RPM. Uh, and then there are also track riders who go even above 100, I think. But that for me was a bit too much. Um, so, yeah, I, I could do everything with this with this gearing and I was uh, I was happy with it. Of course, I also uh, recalculated this uh, 15 times <laughs> to see if it was really the right gear. But every time uh, the conclusion was this was it. So, yeah, that also was for me just, um, yeah, that gave me confidence as well. And for our listeners, just to make you guys smile, that's a bigger gear than I used. I was, yeah. I believe, at 55 <laughs> or 56, uh, 14. So you had two sprockets in the front more. A super impressive performance. You had 100. Yeah, but you, you were going faster, yeah? So. Now, I had 101 <laughs> re uh, reps per minute in the end, I believe, after that one hour. I, 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 I liked high. it to be a little uh, higher. I felt I, I got more rhythm out of it. But hey, yeah. every rider is different, right? So exactly. back to your bike. You had 170 cranks, right? Yes, I always ride 170 cranks because I have had a lot of uh, back issues in the problem. A lot of uh, uh, I have an injury on my back, and this always gives me a lot of problems. And I we figure that if I ride a little shorter cranks, then um, it's easier to get over the top of the pedal stroke. Um, and with that, uh, yeah, I can more easily uh, keep keep pedaling in in the right position, and I get less problems with my back. So uh, yeah, this I ride on my road and uh, TT and track bike. Yeah. Dang, you two have both done the record and set the record. I have not ever even thought about it, but <laughs> just thinking about it and watching both of you, all I could think of was, man, this takes a lot of core strength. Did you do a lot of exercises concentrating on on core strength, you know, and even even your shoulders, you know, holding that position, going around a circle? How many times? You, 190 or something like that? Yeah, um, 100, yeah 197 it was. Like, it's got to hurt. But what can you do to minimize that? Um, yeah, were you doing... Uh, core and upper body sort of strength and conditioning, knowing that you had to keep that position for 60 minutes. Yes, that's exactly what I was doing. So every morning uh, before I would start to ride, I would do my core exercises and uh, not just the core exercises, but also uh, mobility. I needed to do a lot of mobility, stretching and everything to keep it, um, yeah, to keep it uh, smooth. And um uh, so yeah, this was a, a, a big part of the day also. I think my days were pretty busy because I always had a morning session and an afternoon session. I had core sessions, I had stretching sessions, uh, then sometimes I would have massage. 
uh, yeah, so I was never really, people asked me like, what do you do the whole day? But I was never bored actually. I was just uh, being busy all day. Um, and this, all this, uh, yeah, I do Pilates for core training, which uh, helps me. Um, and I have, uh, yeah, I have from our physio of the team, I also have uh, a lot of specific uh, exercises and I definitely work more on my shoulders. Uh, yeah, because there's a lot of weight on the shoulders also and a lot of um, power. So, um, yeah, this in some, actually, I've been, like I said before, in, in practice, in training, I've been through pain in uh, my left hip, my left uh, leg, my sit area, my shoulders, uh, basically almost everything you can go through. But in the end, I think I almost had to go through it to, to feel that once. Um, to get rid of it in some way. And um, in the in the test we did before on the first day, I had really, really sore shoulder. But that is because we uh, we tried to tape my shoulders to give them some support. But we found out it was go it was working the opposite way. So uh, yeah, it was good to have that in the test. And uh, and then we uh, we for sure did not tape my shoulders in in the real hour record. So after all this preparing and waiting and training. You're on the ramp. The shot goes off. You start. If I remember my attempt for the first two or three minutes, I hardly felt the chain. I hardly felt any pain. I'm like, oh, this is easy. I got this. Did you have the same feeling for the first one or two <laughs> minutes where you go, oh, this is great. This is good. I got this. Or how was it for you the first few minutes? Yeah, the, the first few minutes I was really trying to find uh, rhythm because I knew I need, this was super important to get into my own zone in these minutes and to get the right pacing. And then when you get your right pacing, you just hope when you when I, when I pass Yozu, my coach, that he would say that it would be an awesome lap time, of course. Like if you think, oh, this feels good. And of course I was hoping, oh, 18-0. Uh, but it was 18-1, which was still okay. So I thought, okay, this feels fine. And I need to keep this for a while. And then uh, this, but also I had the feeling this should not hurt. This should not hurt yet, should not hurt yet. This all should be, feel so easy. And it was quite easy, but I was also expecting that. So um, yeah, after 10 minutes, I already felt like, yeah, it's, It's okay, but not easy. It's not. Uh, it's not easy. I can't call this super easy. So, and then after 20 minutes, I was like, oh, I start to feel something already. And then, uh, you know, I, I was also conscious of the of the fact that that um, yeah, that I thought it shouldn't hurt in the first 20 minutes, and then it it can start to hurt, but not too much yet. So I I was kind of expecting all these phases in it. So I was not surprised by the fact that it was wasn't so bad in the beginning because I knew it would all come back to me in the end, for sure. If you want to get more out of your free time, sign up to Outside Plus. For less than a dollar a week, you can get six print and digital issues of Peloton Magazine, exclusive membership content from bellenews.com, access all the premium content from the whole Outside family, including Yoga Journal, Backpacker, Ski, Outside Magazine and many others. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, access to Gaia, GPS and trail forks as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value in one $99 annual subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com forward slash outside plus, 
and enter BJPOD25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout. You'll receive our special 25% discount and make a good deal. Great. And now back to our chat with Alan. I need to ask one more question because uh, on the technical side, the handlebar. To me, the handlebar setup and the advances in technology there is, is it just a total game changer. Tell us a little bit about your handlebar setup. You know, we're, we're reading now that they're 3D printed and, um, you know, basically personalized to the rider. Did you have a pair of the, the 3D printed ones or were you just using stock bars from your, your sponsors? Uh, no, so I have 3D printed bars from the sponsor. So Trek made these ones, uh, but they made this last year in August for me. Um, it's been quite a process and um, yeah, we really uh, uh, pushed for it. And then they, they, they made these 3D printed bars because I really wanted to have these for the World Championships in September. Um, and it definitely is a game changer because I feel way more stable in my uh, on my bike. I feel... I feel also more arrow, and uh, I really love these extensions. So they 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 uh, personalized these ones for me, and uh, yeah, that worked out really well at the World Championships. So then uh, we decided we just keep the exactly same setup for the track bike, and in that way we we didn't change anything on the bike compared to uh, compared to my road time trial bike. So these extensions that were on my track bike are exactly the same as the ones are that are on my uh, TT road bike. And with the position of the handlebar, it gave you the chance to lower your head really, really low. Do you remember how much further you could look ahead of you from the outside? To me, it looked like you can only see the first 10 meters or for the Americans with feet and yards, I believe <laughs> maybe 10 yards or 12 yards. How much further could you look up? Could you see the entire straight of the of the track, or and, and was it make you nervous that you were unable really to see far ahead? Yeah, this technique that I used to 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 lower my head was uh, was good uh, aerodynamically wise. So it would it lowered my CDA, like I said before, already quite a lot. But also the the downside is that I, I couldn't see a thing. I honestly could only see the tire of my of my bike. So that was about it. Um, and that also was a problem, especially in the beginning. I was going all everywhere on the track. I was going from the top to the track to like to like the middle part of the to to like out of the Cote d'Azur, the blue part. I was everywhere and. Uh, I knew that this was a very fast position, but I couldn't keep it at all in the beginning. So this gave me a lot of frustration and a lot of practice. Um, and also, I, it caused me a lot of focus every session to focus on this, to keep the head low and to, to when I would lose the line, I would think like, okay, I will come back to it, no problem, I will come back to it. Um, and in the test session that we did the first day before, I, a couple of times I completely rode out of the track onto these uh, bars that are on, on the side of the track. So I was also, I kind of calculated it in my head that I would sometimes ride out of the track and hit the bars that are, uh, uh, that you should not hit normally and which also slow you down a lot. But I still was convinced this position was faster than when I would look up. So I just thought people, I, I was just hoping people wouldn't laugh too much about me when I would go, go, go out of the track or something. But 
I had uh, I I was convinced this was the best position, and I um, yeah I also knew that it wasn't I wasn't writing the the best lines with it, but it was worth it to to uh, to keep it like this. A quick extra question to this: Now it's a week ago. Did somebody calculate how much extra distance you covered or not, or you don't want to know? Or I, I'm just curious uh, yeah, to, to no, find I out. Yeah, no, I don't know. Yeah, I would like to know. Um, I also had a. Uh, a Wahoo on my bike, which normally uh, actually uh, records everything, also the speed. But unfortunately, it wasn't working during the hour, so I don't have all my data. So I also don't know the exact speed of the Wahoo, which would have been super interesting, of course, because then you know, yeah, how much meters I lost uh, with this position. Yeah, so I, I would like to know, yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure there's some data cruncher out there that'll take care of it for you, but... Okay, so the record is now 49.254 kilometers. Less than a year ago, it, you, you've already gone over a kilometer, kilometer 1.25 kilometers faster in less than a year. Where do you think the record is going to go? In I, I'm sure that you know Yos beating it and you beating it is going to motivate more people. Do you think that um, you know? 50 kilometers is is obtainable in the near future for for women or would you like to do it again and have that as a as a goal um yeah maybe i would like to do it again for sure 50 is a magic uh yeah magic mark and it's something would be super special um i also know that at this moment in grenchen for sure it was not possible for me um but Going to altitude, I think uh, people say you you definitely can gain some more meters, but still it's, it's uh, 750 meters more. So I would need to lap myself or do another an extra three laps in the same same time. So it's not it's something really big for me. Um, I don't know what would be possible at altitude, but um, yeah, well of course this uh, this 50 is somewhere in my head, but. Um, Yeah, I don't know yet how or when or what or if I'm going to do it again. But uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this project for sure. So I would be in for it. Yeah. Um, since I was there, I can say it was lovely to see the entire team working towards this one goal. You know, um, there were what about 10, 15 people there for you, Ellen, I believe. And the team worked really well. Everybody was focused. Everybody was basically world class at his job. The mechanic, the physiotherapist, the psychologist. So it was absolutely fantastic to see. And I guess the team played a big part in it, didn't it? Yes, for sure. The team was was everything, and and yeah, like I said, I really enjoyed the project. And of course, it's been super special because everything was about me, which is crazy when you have 15 specialists all looking into you. Uh, and that's only the 15 specialists, but there were even way more people uh, uh, working on it uh, in the background. Um, but yeah, this was this was super crucial that all these people were into it, and also. It was so cool because for most of them, it was something completely new. It was all new for me, but it was also new for almost all of these specialists. So the, everybody was inspired by it and super motivated and super into it. So this whole vibe and this atmosphere already gave me so much energy. Um, yeah, it's really something I will never, ever forget anymore. And um, yeah, it's that's just uh, an experience which is, yeah, which is hard to explain how, how special it is when 
all these people put so much into yeah into this effort for for me which is not just me but it's more a track a track segafredo effort actually than just the effort i i did there in the end well jens you just brought up something that i'm curious and have to ask about the sports psychologist side you know you're you're met, getting your head right did did you do any work with a sports psychologist and if so what were you know your kind of things that you wanted to concentrate on uh, you, uh, you asked me, right? Oh, yes. No, no, you, well, of course. Yeah, you. Yeah, no, yeah. Really, we we yeah. know that. It would you... be interesting to know from you, too. But Jens had his own uh, psychology, yeah? uh, shut up, leg. So that was easy, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, so I worked with uh, Elisabetta Borgia. She's the sports psychologist of our team. And um, yeah, we've been through quite, quite a lot of phases. I think the main thing was for me to not uh, start counting down from the beginning because. Just focusing on time and thinking after five minutes, 55 to go, it's not really working, I have to say. So uh, the main thing for me, it worked best to in the, to get my thoughts completely somewhere else in the beginning. Um, and then towards the end, to get my, my thoughts more towards all the people that are involved in this project, all the people that are uh, close to me and uh, that, that gave me a little extra energy. Um, yeah, so I was thinking, of course, of all the people who were involved in this project, who were working uh, to get this, to get everything right. Uh, but also, for example, I had to think about um, Amy Peters. Um, she is a, uh, she was a track mate of mine. We we rode a lot together on the track in the past, and uh, she's a good friend of mine. And yeah, she had a, a horrible accident in uh, in December. And she, um, yeah, she's trying to recover from it, but it's not, yeah, it's still a really hard process. And yeah, well, these kind of things can give me a little extra energy. So I, I really thought about uh, the special people around me. And now that it's a week ago, did you know now your average and your max heart rate and also the watts you did put out? Do you remember any of that? Yeah, so I, like I said, my Wahoo was only working from like 15 minutes in. The first 15 minutes, for some reason, were not recorded. So that was uh, a big disappointment. <laughs> um, but yeah, my effort heart rate, I think, was 173. Um, and um, yeah, the watts, I don't know. I never asked my coach. I don't know if I should share it or not. I don't know if that's stupid. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Should, yeah. <laughs> Uh, maybe, uh, if you I, if, I, wait, if you want to go again, then don't share it with us and the entire world because not only <laughs> yeah. us are listening, um, probably uh, um, Josh Loden is listening as well. So uh, yeah, if you want to yeah. go again, then I guess keep it secret to you and work with okay. that. Okay, better just keep it secret and I'll tell you if I do it again another time. <laughs> well, you know, world champion check that off the list. World record holder, check that off the list. You kind of already explained, you know, the focus that you had to go through after the spring season was over to concentrate on this. But what's next? What what do you have left uh, to check off the list, uh, you know, this year and moving forward? Yeah, well, I don't know. I still just, I love so much to ride my bike. Like this week, I had a week off and they said like, oh yeah, uh, just don't ride. But uh, yeah, I I still like to ride, so I, I just rode my bike twice. But 
uh, I like to be outside to go. And this morning I had a lovely ride with no schedule. Um, so yeah, for sure it will take a little time to get super focused again towards a new goal. But I think basically the main thing is that you love what you do. And I really, really love to be a professional athlete. Uh, professional rider and um, yeah for sure there will be nice new goals in this year like the Tour de France the first women's Tour de France of course or not the first women's Tour de France but yeah, it's been a while and um, and then uh, of course the Europeans and World Championships again um, yeah and then uh, all these things they always motivate me a lot so for sure after this pro- big project I have a little bit of uh, uh, like an easier time but um, yeah to be honest I felt really really good on the bike this week so <laughs> maybe uh, yeah maybe the form uh, this form or all this track training can help me on the road as well so talking about you feeling good and uh, the women's Tour de France it is eight days which is quite a lot more than the weekend in Paris uh, we had before with La Course There's three, I suppose you have seen some of it. The, the last three days are pretty hard mountain stages. Last day, stage eight, finishing up on plateau, uh, no, Planche de Belfi. That's a serious climb. So I got a triple question. What do you expect <laughs> in general in terms of TV and public and fans? What do you expect for yourself? And what do you expect, what do you hope for with the team? Okay, uh, so first question, uh, what do I expect from media? I, I expect a lot of media attention because women's cycling is growing so much. And it's, um, yeah, I think everybody wants to know more and more about women's cycling. And, and I, everybody I, I talk about women's cycling is super excited for this Tour de France. So, uh, yeah, I expect really a lot from that. Um, yeah, and from, uh, from my own perspective, I... Uh, I really hope to do well in one or two stages. Um, of course, I was a little disappointed there's no time trial in it. Uh, I think Grand Tour uh, should have a time trial in it, but unfortunately, that's not there. So, um, yeah, I hope to be in a breakaway one day and, and get a good opportunity in one of the intermediate stages where it's not going to be a bunch print and uh, where it's not going to be a mountaintop finish. Um, and then in general, I think with the team, we have, we have different options. Um, I think uh, Elisa Longo Bogini is our best for the GC, so I hope that she will uh, she will be good, and I also I, I definitely know she will be good, but that we can have a good GC with her. Um, but I also know that she she can also do like she can also win a stage just like others in our team. So I hope just that we can at least win one stage with the team and then have a good GC. I think that would uh, that would be awesome. You know, one of the, the cool things that I learned about you um, doing research for, for today was that you grew up racing as a junior with Marianne Voss. And mm. Dutch women's cycling is historically dominant. How has that been growing up with, with someone like Marianne basically your entire career? I had um, a similar thing with a, uh, a male rider And I remember meeting him when I was 17 years old. And I was just like, man, if there's guys that are better than this guy, I have no chance. But then from the juniors to the amateurs to the pros, you know, we, we made it. You know, he raced, I, I raced for 16 years. I think he raced for about the same. But that 
I guess that healthy competition, um, sometimes unhealthy competition, uh, was motivating because you've done it with these people for, for so long. But what is your relationship with Marianne Voss? I mean, it must have been cool being a junior with her and then supporting her when she won her Olympic gold in London. Yes, for sure. I have a really good relationship with Marianne. We are uh, born in the same year, so we are the uh, same age. So since junior, exactly since I was 15, 16, we raced together. And back then she was good, but not as good as she, as she was later on. So I could still beat her, which was nice. <laughs> um, uh, even in the sprint back then, somehow I could sprint. Um, and then we became elite. And uh, actually she was already a world champion as a junior. So uh, we knew already she was, she was very special. Uh, but then when we, when we, uh, when we became elite, she uh, straight away won the world championships, uh, elite women. She was already world champion, world champion in cyclocross. Um, and that for me was really like, wow, like then I, uh, because I for sure was not even close to that. Um, so she made such a big step straight away. Um, and I always had a lot of respect for her and she's also a, a super nice and kind person. So she would never uh, be arrogant or anything. And I still have a lot of respect for her. And, um, yeah, we spend a lot of time together. We spend a lot of training camps together with the national team. Uh, we spend a lot of championships together. Um, and, and I think she is, she definitely, I don't think I, I, I can say that she's the best women cyclist, uh, in history. I, I, I mean, I think I can say that. I don't know if that's an opinion or if it's, uh, if it's just some, if it's just a fact. But in, uh, in my life, it's a fact. And um, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I think she's next to that, like I said already, she's a great person. And also she did a lot of good things for women's cycling. She really um, uh, wanted to improve the attention and everything and really, um, yeah, put a lot of effort into that, which I also really appreciate. Talking about um, fellow women, um, I had the honor to have Lissy Deignang as my mm -hmm. co-host with me, commentating live on your attempt. And we talked a little bit um, about it before. And Lissy, as well, is a great champion. She is still really just a normal, normal girl from next door. You know, it's nice talking to her. A world champion as well and um, she told me she also does know you for a long time and once you competed the European championships on the track and the scratch race I believe and please mm -hmm. tell our listeners in your words what was the outcome <laughs> of that race at the European championships yeah so uh, we were doing under 23 uh, track championships uh, European track championships I think I don't even know where I think it was in Copenhagen or somewhere And we did a scratch race and um, Lizzie was already very good at the time. And I also was, was uh, upcoming in the track, on the track cycling. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super slow in the sprint. So I decided to start the sprint very early on in this scratch race. I think two laps to go or whatever. So I just went and um, I almost hold it to the line. But somebody just came next to me on the line. So when I when I uh, crossed the finish line, I was I just saw in in the in the corner of my eye that somebody was crossing the finish line at exactly the same time, and that was Lizzie Lizzie Armitstead back then now Dijkman, and uh, so we both didn't know who won. So we just thought, well, I don't know. I think it's you or you. Who knows? So we waited the results and we waited and we waited and still no results. And then they decided in the end, 
Well, we can't see a difference in the finishing photo. So both of you are European champion on the scratch now. So uh, yeah, so we got a podium ceremony and we, we stood together uh, on top of the podium and we celebrated together, which was, uh, which was very nice. It's a nice, uh, nice memory. I think it never happened again, at least not, as, not, uh, not with me. Well, Ellen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. I know that you have a lot more obligations to get to. So just wanted to thank you again for, for sharing some of your downtime. Uh, good luck this summer with your upcoming with the upcoming Women's Tour de France. And I'm sure you're going to be shooting for a repeat victory in the World Championship time trial. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's one of my goals. Thank you very much for being in your podcast. I really enjoyed it. And also, before I forgot to say, I got a lot of reactions on the on the great commentary of Jens and Lizzie. So uh, you you did a really good job there. It was, it was super nice to hear. I still need to watch it back the whole hour because I think it's uh, it's super nice to watch it. Yeah, take a quiet moment, fireplace, <laughs> you know, take yeah. Benjamin, your boyfriend, next to you and then you just watch it and enjoy it and relax, legs up and... Just enjoy it. A glass of wine, maybe. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so, yes, I can only uh, repeat what Bobby said. It was a pleasure and an honor, Ellen, to have you on a podcast. Thanks a million for giving us the time today. Thank you very much. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. A huge thank you to Ellen Van Dyke for being our guest. Thanks a million for listening. And please give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. And if you want to hear more record-breaking track stars, why not check out last week's episode with Ashton Lambie. The show was a Bella News production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Tim Mosa. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us. Mm -hmm.